This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today is our big midweek show, which means we will be doing some news, some college football, some injury talk, a little bit of fantasy. And, of course, we are going to preview the Thursday night football game between the Broncos and Colts with a couple of buddies of mine from Colts Law. So, before any of that, we're going to jump into the news with Julius Lux. How are you doing today, Julius? All is well. Can't complain. My fantasy team put up 187 points this week, so I had a really nice week. What? <laughs> Eckler, Hawkinson, and Evans had 30-plus for me. The only oh person Lord. to not get up over 15 points for me was Deontay Johnson. Jeez, that's too bad it you was can't a, roll over was, in fantasy. <laughs> it was a wonderful week. So other than that, everything's good. Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good, man. I... I... It's it's late. <laughs> Aside from it that, is. everything is golden. Can't complain so, about a late night studio session for sure. No, no. I, I'm I'm happy to be talking about some NFL news. We've got some um, good stuff to talk about here. Some stuff that's relevant to Thursday night. We got some quarterback uh, starting sitting information, and uh, I guess let's just jump right into it, man. What do you have for us to start with? It be. It be. Sounds good. So I'm going to start off with all the stuff that relates to Thursday. We'll just get that out of the way. I'm sure you guys will talk about it later in the show. But to start off with the Broncos, Russell Wilson says he is confident in playing in Thursday's matchup versus the Colts. This comes as no shock. Despite his shoulder injury, he was listed as limited for Tuesday's walkthroughs, but it looks like he's going to be good to go. Yeah, we shall see. I mean, we know that Russell Wilson is... uh fine with playing through injury when maybe that's not the right decision. We saw that <laughs> with the Seahawks last year with the, the, the finger. Um, he could barely throw the football, right? He couldn't grip it properly and couldn't even correctly take a ball from under center. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I hear him, but I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah. Doesn't hasn't built a lot of credibility as far as that goes. Absolutely. So Randy Gregory, sticking with the Broncos, will go on the IR and miss at least four games due to a knee injury. He will undergo arthroscopic surgery to trim the meniscus in his knee. The ACL is intact, so that's good news. But he will be out for at least four games. Yeah, that's big because uh, Bradley Chubb is a very good player. But it makes a big difference when you can get guys coming from both sides. You know what I mean? You're able to, to stunt guys. You're able to really test one-on-one matchups for both tackle positions. When you've got only one, it makes it easy to put a tight end on one side or the other and, and offer more chip help to a tackle who needs a little assistance. So that's a big deal for them. Um, really good player. Obviously, had an incredibly slow start to his career because of all the suspensions. But now that he's here full-time he's he's making a name for himself and he's playing really really well yeah trust me i know about randy gregory because you know as a cowboys fan um i had to deal with his off the field issues and stuff for a few years and then he's fully all good to go last year had a great year and then 
signs with the Cowboys and then flips the switch <laughs> and goes to Denver. So I wasn't thrilled, but he is a very talented pass rusher. So, of course, we wish him the best. Moving away from Thursday's news, Tua Tunga-Vailoa will speak with representatives from the NFL and the Players Association regarding a joint investigation that is relating to his concussion evaluation that happened in September 25th game versus Buffalo. We all know what happened. We all saw what happened last game. It was not pretty whatsoever. The Dolphins are in some serious heat right now. Um, You know, we... We just wish, you know, speedy recovery from him. It was very scary. And, yeah, there's going to be a, a little investigation going on with this. Yeah, well, since the last time we talked, Julius, they've already, the NFLPA has already fired the independent uh, neurological, you know, we say independent in quotes, but independent mm-hmm. uh, neurological specialist who cleared him to play. So, obviously, some problems with that process and I wouldn't be surprised that there's problems with some other processes as well so the story is definitely not over and hopefully he does recover fully and and sooner rather than later for for his sake more so than the Dolphins yeah absolutely and I think the last time we did talk the injury we were literally watching the injury happen like while we were recording that's right yeah because it was yeah. the, it was for the Friday morning show so that was it was halftime so mm-hmm. it was like very, very fresh. That's it. That's right. Yeah, we were like just getting news he was going to be okay and everything. Like we were just wondering if he would walk out alive, you know, like at that point. Uh, yeah, we got yeah. news that he was okay. And the, we didn't even know he was traveling back with the team at that time. Mm-hmm. Which again, I talked about yesterday with Kyron and mm-hmm. not not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. of course, not not at all. But um, I guess some good news we can go to right here. Um, exciting news for some Steelers fans, and as soon as I mention the Steelers, you know where I'm going with this. Kenny Pickett will get his first career NFL start versus the Buffalo Bills this week. This comes after he replaced original QB1 Mitch Trubisky in the second half of their loss to the Jets, and it looks like uh, the Pittsburgh kid, Kenny Pickett, he is going to be uh, starting this week. It's going to be a very fun, fun time to watch and a fun player to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... He, he's got some juice to him. It was definitely a far from perfect outing, but I will say that, you know, he had an energy and th- that they have been lacking for a while. I mean, he got hit hard, bounced up, laughing, you know what I mean? He, he, he clearly energized the team when he was scoring touchdowns with his legs. So I, I don't know if they will win more games. I don't know if they'll win less games either. Not sure if it'll look pretty, but I think that it's it's time to move on. And we talked about that a little bit on our Sunday recap show. And we were all in agreement that it, just just start the process. There's no reason to prolong it. He is quarterback one now. Yeah, and uh, the rookie's going to get a shot. And, you know, we wish him the best moving forward. Falcons lose a key piece to their offense. Quarter L. Patterson is placed on the IR with a knee injury. He will miss at least four games. Yep, that's a shame. He's an important player for them. Um, I, I think that he is actually a surprisingly big part of their, their offense. I mean, we saw it last year. He's been back at it this year. They do have their two big targets. They've got Pitts. They've got uh, London. But, you know, he's kind of that third guy. And obviously to go along with Mariota, like that's a one-two punch for their ground game. And Mariota is not necessarily a rushing quarterback but he is very mobile and can can you know really 
effectively utilize the play action, especially in rollouts and, and everything. So I, I'm curious to see what that looks like. I think, you know, they've had some good offensive games, some pretty bad defensive games, and uh, don't expect them to have a lot of wins this year, unfortunately. Yeah, we saw it last year. He uh, he saved my fantasy team a little bit last year with being able to catch the ball as well as run it. So, you know, the Falcons lose a big part. We wish him the best in a speedy recovery. Going to my Dallas Cowboys, according to Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott is unable to grip a football well enough to play as of right now. He will go for his weekly checkups with the doctors to determine his status for this upcoming game against the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that things can change, but it's hard to believe that he can play effectively by the weekend if he can't grip a football well enough to throw it right now. I mean, and I I don't know. The Rams are probably a better team than than most of what they played in their, their three-game win streak here, but still, like, you're on a three-game win streak. Why rush him back? Why, you know? It just doesn't make sense. Like, you're going to re-injure him for just for the possibility of going 4-1 and one when you might go 4-1 and one anyway, and the worst outcome is 3-2. and two. I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I think, you know, Personally, I know that they want to Cooper alive, Rush has but... a nice, you know, when Cooper Rush has a nice <laughs> undefeated streak going in the NFL, I like what I see from him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, I think it's, I think he's more important to come back versus the Eagles rather than this Rams matchup personally not just because of the week uh the the extra week of rest I think it also has to do you know division game the Eagles are off to a hot start and I think that extra week off to you know play it safe make sure he's all good for you know possibly the biggest season uh, the biggest game so far to the year also on the road I mm-hmm. think that is huge for Dallas so personally I would I would sit him out for this one yeah, I'm with you 100%. I don't think it makes any sense to rush him back. Absolutely. Last piece of news I got for you. Former corner Jimmy Smith is retiring from the NFL after 11 seasons. He was picked 27th overall in 2011 by the Baltimore Ravens, and he stuck it in Baltimore for his entire career, finished his playing days with 14 interceptions and 374 total tackles. So congrats on a pretty solid career, and you know we wish you the best on his next life. Yeah, man. A good player. Never a great player, but a good player for his whole career. And, um, you know, I he won. He won the Super Bowl with them in 2012. Mm-hmm. So, you know. nothing. It's one of those nothing. reliable pieces, you know, like just a guy yeah. that does his job, does his knows his role, eventually mm-hmm. became a veteran leader. Very, very mm-hmm. good player. It's very amazing career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know. If that's what you get out of a first round pick, especially a late first round pick, that's a that's a solid win for the organization. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's everything I got for you. All right. Sounds good. So we are going to jump into some injuries with Dr. Kyle Trimble. We will touch on some of the stuff that we mentioned here, but uh, mostly we have fresh injuries to go over with you. So looking forward to that. Julius, let everybody know where they can find you. So on Twitter, you can find me on GotCheese44. That's GotCheese44 on Twitter. GridironHeroics.com, you can find me there. All my articles and the appearances I have made on the show. Facebook, you can find me just by searching my name, Julius Lux. All right, awesome. So we will see you tomorrow on our draft episode. And uh, then Friday again, of course, to 
recap Thursday night and preview the weekend, man. Have a good evening. You as well. Take care. See you tomorrow. All right. With me to talk about the injuries from around the NFL, I have Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills. He is a doctor of physical therapy, and every Wednesday he comes on to help me cover all of the big injuries. You know, I say all of, and that's never really true because there's just so many, but we try and touch on some of the biggest ones, and of course, I rely on him to tell me which ones those are. So how are you doing today, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, like you said, it's possible to t- touch on all the injuries, but we try to highlight the big ones and try to get people some accurate information. Yeah, and by the way, for any new listeners, Kyle does an incredible job. He's been so on point with a lot of his predictions for timelines. He's predicted some injuries very accurately before official news came out on them. So I just always want to let him know and let you all know how much I appreciate his input on our show because I think it's something pretty cool that we do that you don't get a lot of places, and I and I value that. So let's jump into it, man. Where do you want to start? We'll start off with AFC. It seems like when I do my research for these injuries, a lot of them come from the AFC, though there always are a lot of injuries in the NFC. It just depends on what ones are worth highlighting. So we'll start in AFC East. Um a division I'm very familiar with being a Bills fan and uh, doing work for the covering the Bills. Um, the Bills start off with they lost Jamison Crowder with a left ankle fracture for potentially the season. He got tackled on a punt return early in the third quarter. Um, it looked like a high ankle sprain. Turned out he broke the distal fibula, which is the lateral malleolus of your ankle, so that outside bump on the ankle. Um, there's a chance he could come back late in the season with a perfect rehab and whatnot, but typically we don't see them come back very well. And for those that think that he could, I think of what Jalen Waddle looked like when he came back for Alabama in the national championship game. He just didn't look fluid and he wasn't moving around very well. So it's unfortunate that Crowder suffered that injury, but he wasn't, he wasn't producing a lot for the bills anyway. So um, his, his absence won't really hurt the team too much. But unfortunately, his counterpart, the other slot receiver for the Bills, did suffer a concussion. And Isaiah McKenzie, he, he took a bad hit over the middle um, with about five minutes left in the third quarter, was able to get up and jog up off the field, and uh, isn't currently a concussion protocol. But I have seen that he's been a quick healer. Hopefully, it's the same case for the concussion. But every concussion is unique. Um, so those are the big things with the bills. And then, uh, if you dare, we can get into the, the Tua, uh, conversation with his concussion because <laughs> yeah. we talked about it last week here and mm-hmm. he goes out and gets, uh, slammed to the turf again, five days after suffering what is perceived to be a concussion from the bills game in week three. Um, they know he has a concussion this time around. They don't have a timeline for him to return. There is a concern for second impact syndrome, um, which is a whole nother thing, but he hasn't been reported to have that, but briefly going to what second impact syndrome is basically you return back to play suffering another head injury before the prior head injury um, is healed up. And that can cause significant neurological changes that can cause death in some cases. Um, a lot of bad things can happen from sudden impact syndrome. So that's obviously a big concern. They don't want to return guys too soon from a concussion ends the protocol, but um we're going to find more and more stuff out from this whole fallout with the concussion protocol. Um, they already talked about changing things up with regards to um, gross motor instability, as, as they put it, with regards to, because we saw Tua wobbling around there. 
that will qualify as gross motor instability where he doesn't have control of his body. They pinned that on his back, saying that that was why he could come back from the game because in the concussion protocol, it says that if you can explain what's going on with regards to why you're seeing the stuff orthopedically, then you can be cleared to go back in. So that might be what happened in that case there, but they're going to tweak the rules so that there's no uh, no question about what's going on. They have to keep the guy out if there's any issues with that there. So um, in the long run, it's going to help the league get better with their concussion management, but that might hurt some teams short-term with regards to if you start player go out for a suspected head injury and normally they would have been cleared. Maybe then they have to sit out and then that could affect the outcomes of the games. But ultimately player safety is more important than the outcome of a game. Yeah, I, I agree. We, this is just a, something that we're going to be talking about consistently. Like I, a lot of people wanted to shrug it off and I just knew that there was going to be more to this. I didn't know that it was going to be what it, you know, what happened on Thursday night, but you know, I, I was banging on about it. People probably got tired of hearing me talk about it, but unfortunately, they're not going to hear me stop because it's a major issue. And I'm glad that they're incorporating that in. That seems like a no-brainer. It seems like um, maybe that should have been in there before because it didn't take a doctor. It didn't take an independent neurologist. It didn't take anybody more than a little bit of common sense and, and basic knowledge of concussions to realize that that was, you know, a problem. So... I mean, I won't dwell on it more in this exact moment because we just talked about it at length yesterday and we'll see what happens going forward. The word is, um, my guy Kyron has some information and it's, I don't want to over dramatize it. I, I don't want to make it sound like anything that I'm not 100% sure of, but that, that it's not, it's not roses there right now. And it's probably going to be a little while until he sees the field, at least a few weeks. So you know, until we get more clarity, that's the best I can do. But um, yeah, second impact syndrome is a big deal and something that you cannot risk, especially because this, if he were to sustain another one, there would be risk that it's even a, a third head injury in such a short amount of time. So that's it for Tua for right now. But yes, we will keep talking about this. Absolutely. But like I said, another day, another day. Um, so we're going to move over to the AFC West. Uh, we got defensive end Randy Gregory with the Broncos. He's out two to six weeks with a uh, arthroscopic procedure to trim out his meniscus. Um, the reason why that timeline is so wide variety is because depending on the swelling, the pain, how quickly he can regain the functions that knee, sometimes you can get that right back. Uh, but once you get in the knee and start kind of disrupting some of the stuff in there, trimming out uh, structures and whatnot, then sometimes the knee gets angry and then it doesn't want to calm down, hence why they give that timeline there. So uh, meniscus uh, trims are common. Um, they found more or less that if you can work through that injury from a general standpoint that you're going to get the same results versus if you trim it out. But sometimes there are tears that don't allow you to work through that and do the more rehab. So sometimes to get those guys back on the field quicker, they have to do the trim or sometimes um, just based on the nature of the tear, they have to go and trim out that fending piece there, but uh, he shouldn't miss too much time. It just depends on how angry the knee will be after the surgery. And then his teammate, Javante Williams uh, running back suffered a pretty brutal knee injury. He suffered a ACL tear, LCL tear and a posterior lateral corner tear. Um, so really what happened is he, he just, tore the ACL, which is the middle of the knee. 
they tore the lateral collateral ligament, which is on the outside portion of the knee. And then also the structures in the um, posterior lateral corner are all affected. And this is when you get multi-ligament damage like that, then you usually see a longer recovery time. Um, think of J.K. Dobbins, and we saw how he took a long time to get back. Uh, we saw how um, even when he did get cleared to come back and play, he still wasn't looking right, and even watching him against the uh, Bills, he doesn't have the same burst and acceleration that he once did, though he is slowly getting that back. So Javante has a long road ahead of him with regards to rehab, and it just it's unfortunate that it happens, but that's just the nature of football. Yeah, no doubt. And he's a really important part of their team right now, I think, with the way that the passing game has struggled a little bit. I think a dynamic player in the backfield makes a huge difference. And it's a shame because, I mean, he was a player who, with all the promise he showed last year and this year, you know, was prepared to be that next big player, that next big running back. So that's going to be delayed at least for one more year. 100%. Um, so moving around the AFC, we're going to move to AFC South here. Uh, we got a few guys, uh, including Jonathan Taylor. He's dealing with a left ankle injury. Um, I haven't gotten clear information on him. I've seen some reports saying high ankle. I've seen others saying low ankle. If it's a low ankle, he could play through that, but might be limited pushing off on that affected side. Uh, if it's a high ankle, then that thing can linger and he might miss. And right now, Frank Reich has been noncommittal as whether he's going to play on uh, Thursday, being a short week. So, I think we just need more information uh, with regards to what's going on, but reports were saying he avoided a major ankle injury, suggesting more of a low ankle sprain, but a high ankle, you could be, you could have a mild high ankle sprain and kind of still play through that, but you'd still be limited and now push off. But we'll have to watch that one to see. I wouldn't be surprised if he does miss Thursday as a precaution because he seems to be the only positive spot on that Colts offense at this point, considering how they're playing. Um, and then his teammate Shaq Leonard um, dealt with a concussion um, this, I believe this is his first game back after having his uh, disectomy surgery back in June. So it's unfortunate. There wasn't anything that Leonard could have done to prevent that concussion. It's not like the back led to his concussion, but it just sucks when you see somebody has to be out for so long and then come right back and immediately and then suffer another injury. It just, it's never fun, but that's just the reality of the football game. And then yeah. going to go around in the division there, uh, Traylon Burks uh, receiver for the Tennessee Titans. He suffered a uh, left turf toe injury. So that's basically a hyperextension of the, the big toe, and that's going to really prevent him from getting a lot of bursts through that foot when he's running. Um, they can manage it through if they have to do injections, they have to do like a, a stiff sole to the, the shoe, tape it up. They can help support it, but those injuries tend to linger as well. And depending on the severity, he could be out a little bit. I think I saw that maybe there was talk of injury reserve for a little bit, but – um, that might be best for him to really get a chance at excelling later on in the season. But if he continues to play through it, it's just an injury that doesn't go away on its own without uh, the time and rest to really uh, get everything to kind of heal back up properly. So for turf toe, this is something I was always curious about. Never something I experienced as a runner. Um, you don't have the change of direction. It's just a little bit different. So it's not a common injury. Is that is that hyperextension with normal flexion of like the walk, or is it like a, a stub type uh, uh, hyperextension? Like which direction is it that generally gives you turf toe? So what happens with turf toe is the the foot is planted in the ground, and your 
it, get, it gets planted in the ground because their toe is trying to push off. When we all walk, we push off our big toe to, to drive right. our foot off, and then you're hitting with your heel to go forward there. So when you get hit, your toe is into the hyperextension or it goes into extension where it means coming up there. So when you get the turf toe, you're usually getting tackled from behind, and that toe already into extension, that foot is dry, getting driven into the ground, further putting the toe into extension and causing that instability in there. And sometimes when you get a bad enough turf toe, that can lead to a plantar plate injury, which is um, a more severe version of turf toe going into another injury, if you will. But most turf toes stay as that, but we did see um, Patrick Mahomes deal with this a few years ago. He actually suffered a pretty severe toe turf injury that turned out to be a plantar plate. They had to do surgery on the area. And um, I've seen other guys with that too, unfortunately, but um, hopefully it's more of a mild, moderate turf toe that he gets some time off to rest and recover. Um, but it just sometimes how you tackle, you try and move forward and the foot gets caught. Gotcha. So that was something I was always curious about. Good to know. Yep. So uh, let's see, moving around to the NFC now. Uh, we're dealing with, uh, we'll go Tom Brady here. He suffered a rotator cuff contusion, getting tackled, I believe it was the second quarter. Uh, he was visibly, excuse me, visibly upset. Um, I saw that he had some trouble with the accuracy later on, which is no surprise because the rotator cuff really helps drive that arm forward when you're throwing. So if there's any pain or uh, weakness in there, that can cause passes to, to be thrown short or be thrown high. You know, those guys, the wide receivers can get up and get the balls as they need to, but still you, you need some level of accuracy there. So, um, hopefully he's going to have some time to rest that and, and come back, but he's going to want to avoid hits to the shoulder because it's just continue um, getting aggravated if he keeps on hitting it there. But he was famous, uh, famously on the injury report for New England with a shoulder injury. It seemed like every year constantly. So it seems like kind of karma now that he's actually dealing with a real shoulder injury that he has to work through. So it is what it is, but I say that with a hint of bias being a Bills fan, being, <laughs> you know, antagonized by him for a number of years there. So, um, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then wrapping up here, uh, we got uh, Daniel Jones uh, with the Giants with a hot left high ankle sprain in the NFC East. Unfortunately, uh, Tyrod Taylor is back up, is out with a concussion right now. So that could put the Giants into quite the predicament because I went and looked at what the depth chart looks like for the Giants. They don't have a third quarterback, and I wasn't able to see if they have a practice squad guy, but it'll be interesting to see what they do or if, if uh, Taylor can clear concussion protocol in time to play in week five here. But um, high ankle sprains for your quarterback, they don't have to move around as much, and they can you know, play through it sooner than if you had uh, more of a position player. But still, you need some time off to rest and recover. And we saw that with Mac Jones dealing with his high ankle sprain, though his was far more severe than what Daniel Jones looked to deal with there. So um, the Giants are a predicament, um, but this injury to Daniel Jones, especially after all the other stuff he's had going on the past few years, might be that final nail in the coffin for them to say, we got to move on from Jones. He can't be healthy. He's not producing. This will allow Joe Shane and Brian Dable to find a new quarterback uh, in the 2023 draft uh, heading into you know next year. Yeah, there's a lot of prospects in that 2023 draft. So I think at this point, everyone's expectation is that's the direction that they go. And I, I'm not sure the injury necessarily changed anything on that front, but definitely doesn't help. And Davis Webb is their practice squad quarterback. He's been there for a while now. So I don't know if they intend to start him. Um, they'll definitely need to sign somebody as a backup, you know, if that's the route that they do go. If they end up with Tyrod Taylor starting, 
then Davis Webb will probably be the active backup. But um, we'll see how they look. Because I think it's only Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon right now. So we'll probably have an idea of uh, of what their expectations are for Taylor going forward pretty soon. So, um, yeah, man, uh, that's, that's going to do it for us. I appreciate you coming on, as always. We will see you next Wednesday to go over the injuries as well. Um, I think... I just want to say I am very grateful that Zach Wilson looked like he utilized that recovery period effectively. And whatever you want to say about moments of that performance, he did definitely look fully healthy, which is a big time relief because I didn't know what he was going to look like running around. And that seems to have gone pretty well for them. So I'm glad that the uh, the Jets took your advice there. <laughs> Well, they have too much invested in them not to, and they've had so many issues with their offensive tackle position. They've lost Mekhi Becton. They had Dwayne Brown uh, coming off of IR hopefully this week. They put George Fant on there, and then one of their other guys, they, they used to be a backup, now a starter, Max Mitchell. He's out with a knee injury himself. It's just it's been rotating doors uh, on the tackle position for the Jets, which isn't great for a young quarterback coming off his own injury. Yeah, no doubt. I, I believe I heard that it was a dislocated kneecap for Max Mitchell. Um, and they expect him to be back within probably, what, four or five weeks, something along those lines. I'm not sure what the details are, but that's the preliminary report after about a day. So does that sound right to you? Uh, give or take a few weeks there. But even then, it depends on how much instability was in the kneecap. That's where it could be played because that's kind of what Makai Becton had dealing um, in the preseason there. Or excuse me, well, last year. He had a different injury this year. Um, but that led to him being out for a while. So hopefully they can get enough strength in there, get a brace on him, and help him get through the season. But I've had that injury personally myself, and the kneecap just wants to kind of just shift a lot. And it's a weird feeling. And trying to push 300-pound uh, people out of the way when your knee's not 100% is not ideal. Yeah, I hear that. All right. Thanks again, Kyle. Uh, let everybody know where they can find your work and uh, that way they can keep up with injuries around the NFL and particularly with the bills before we have you back on next week. So you can find me on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, and Instagram at banged up bills. You can find any bill centric stuff and AFC East centric stuff at bangedupbills.com. Beautiful. All right. We will see you very soon. Right. It's one of my favorite times of the week. It's time to talk college football with Max Chadwick from PFF. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I, we, we usually do this later in the uh, afternoon, but I had to, uh, I've got to travel today. So I appreciate you waking up early with me. Oh, no problem. No problem. You know, I, I honestly, I wanted to wake up way earlier and get stuff done, but I slept through my alarm, multiple alarms. So <laughs> it's not even early, but it's. It's all good, man. I am happy to accommodate, and I'm happy to have you here for another awesome week of college football. Now, again, I'm coming back from this one less than last week. I got nothing. Okay. I am, I'm a okay. blank slate, so fill me in, man. How did this go? It was fun. I remember I told you last week we had five ranked matchups, which was tied for the most in a regular season week over the last five years. So it was a very massive week of college football and you know some of the games that were between ranked teams ended up being really good games and shockingly georgia number one georgia at missouri really really struggled 
with the Tigers. Like there was fewer than 10 minutes left to go in that game. They were down by 10 to Missouri. And then obviously they, they stormed back, scored uh, 14 unanswered, and ended up winning by four. But they were favored by 31 points in that game. Missouri's not a very good team at all. They're two and three now on the season. Uh, this is the second straight week now that Georgia struggled with an inferior opponent. If you remember last week, they beat Kent State by 17, but they are favored by 45 against Kent State. So Georgia's kind of been playing down to their competition a little bit. It's a little bit worrisome there. Uh, the reason why they went from number one in the country now to number two in the country uh, after struggling with Missouri. So uh, Alabama crushed Arkansas, even though Bryce Young left the game uh, early in the second quarter. Um, Jalen Milroe came in the back of quarterback. He couldn't really throw the ball that well, but he was a very good runner. Uh, Alabama still won 49 to 26. So that was an impressive game from them. Uh, Clemson beat NC state in that top 10 showdown 30 to 20 DJ. Uyunglele looked really good, especially on the ground in that game. Ole Miss pulled off a insane game over number seven, Kentucky. That was probably the game of the day. Uh, they won 22 to 19. There's number 14 Ole Miss over number seven, Kentucky. Like Kentucky had the game winning touchdown in the final minute, but there was an illegal motion penalty right before it. So they wiped it off the board. Kentucky ended up not scoring uh, and losing that game altogether. So really impressive uh, win for Ole Miss. Then uh, Oklahoma State Baylor was a, was a pretty good game too. And Oklahoma State finally showed why they're a top 10 team. They haven't really played anyone yet. They beat Baylor 36 to 25 in their first top 10 win of the season. So those are kind of like the big uh, games over the week. So so what's up with Georgia? What do you think? Are they just are, are they just resting on laurels from last year and kind of just expecting to walk through everything until they get to the end of the season or is there some legitimate issue is it's not a matchup thing I would imagine. I mean if they're favored by that much it can't be any you know one specific you know position group that's yeah. really giving them problems. So I don't think that could be it. Is it just you think it's just straight up they're just too high on themselves and they're not they're not preparing well enough? No, I'm sure that's it. I don't think, you know, a lot of people are like just slamming the panic button on Georgia. I'm not doing that at all. I still, I would rank them number two after the last two weeks, but like that's only because Alabama's looked really good uh, and Ohio State's getting really good too. But like Georgia's kind of, yeah, like you said, resting on their laurels a little bit. They know they're the top team in the country. The other thing I got to keep in mind is like, Every team that goes up against them, they they know, hey, we're going up against the number one team in the country. So they've got a big target on their back. So you're going to probably get the best of every team every single week. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a little concerning that this is back-to-back -back weeks now where they not only not covered their spread, but not covered it in a significant amount. Uh, it's going to be interesting what they do this week. They play Auburn this week, who, again, is like an average or so team. George is favored by about 30 points in that game. So this is like the third straight week where they're favored by 30 points or more. The first two, they couldn't cover even close to it. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see if they actually do cover it against Auburn. I feel like they're probably going to want to come out uh, swinging it and just destroy Auburn and show everyone, hey, we're still the top dogs. So what about Bryce Young? What's up with his injury? Is that a, a long-term thing, or is that something he's going to be back from next week? Uh, so Nick Saban, he's, it was a shoulder injury. He ended up missing the rest of the game. But Nick Saban said it was a day-to-day -day issue. He doesn't think it's a long-term injury at all. And he actually, he got mad at the reporters. He's like, I wouldn't, I'm not, this is the last thing I'm telling you. I'm not telling you anything after this because I don't want Jimbo to know or anything like that. Um, so yeah, we're not, I don't think we're, we're not going to hear anything from Nick Saban about Bryce Young after yesterday, but he did say yesterday, day to day, not a long-term issue. So listen, I, I don't know if he's gonna be able to go for Saturday. If he doesn't, then Jalen Monroe will be the starting quarterback. He was a four-star recruit a couple of years ago. 
Uh, obviously not the same talent as Bryce Young. He's a very good runner, but like I mentioned before, he looked really bad as a passer against Arkansas. So it could be a ground and pound game against Texas A&M. Um, and, and it could be a lot closer without Bryce Young. So I don't know if he'll be available for Saturday, but Nick Saban seems to think it's not a long-term injury, so hopefully he is. All right, so so what's going on with Oklahoma? Give me the rundown here. <laughs> they, they are falling apart at the seams right now. It's really bad. You know, a lot of people when Lincoln Riley left and they hired Brent Venables, who's a defensive wizard, uh, the old Clemson defensive coordinator, a lot of people are like, wow, okay, cool. Oklahoma is going to go from an offensive juggernaut so now all of a sudden it's like defensive, like elite defense every year, which we haven't really seen Oklahoma have. Uh, that's still not the case. It's going to take some time because Oklahoma's defense is not doing well right now. They just allowed 55 points against TCU in a 55-24 loss. Last week, Kansas State ran all over them. We talked about that game. They scored 41 points in Oklahoma. The offense is not the issue right now. Oklahoma's offense is still humming. It's still playing pretty well. The defense can't stop anyone right now. And Brent Venables, I have full trust in him to fix that in maybe later years when he finally gets more of his recruits and more of his guys in there. But right now, man, I mean, this defense is very, very porous. So let's jump back to Kansas State. How did they do? Yeah, are we still are we still talking about a Cinderella story with uh, with uh, Martinez here? Yeah, no, Kansas State looks pretty good. They're now I think number twenty in the country. They just beat Texas Tech uh, this past week, thirty seven to twenty eight. Yeah, Adrian Martinez is. Uh, I actually just wrote an article for BFF.com, the top Heisman candidates in terms of betting odds. Uh, he was up there. So I, I don't know if I would give it to him. I think he still has his struggles as a passer, which we've seen for four years at Nebraska too. But he's a very good runner of the football. In fact, he has the most rushing yards uh, in the entire Power Five right now, actually in the nation among quarterbacks. So uh, he's a very good runner, still has a lot of issues as a passer. But yeah, Kansas State is doing pretty well right now. So speaking of Nebraska, they weren't the only Big Ten to move on from their coach. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Wisconsin, uh, that was shocking. Paul Christ is like Wisconsin through and through. I, I never thought I would see the day where he would actually not be the Wisconsin head coach. Um, and he's gone now. They ended up firing him. And they said, you know, we, we, we got to get a new guy in there. They promoted their defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard, who was a star player for them, a star player in the NFL too, if you guys remember. Uh, and he's their new head coach or interim head coach for right now. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets promoted, if he does a good enough job. But yeah, Wisconsin, this, this is a team that I was really high on head, heading into the year. Uh, I thought they were arguably a top 20, top 15 team in the country. They've really, really not looked like it so far. So they fired Paul Chris. They cut bait immediately. Very unlike Wisconsin. They usually drag it out a lot until they finally can't, you know, they can't do anything else but fire them. But they, no, they did it early, which I commend them for. But yeah, they're two and three on the season now. They're 0 and two in the Big Ten. Uh, they're going to try to get back on track against Northwestern this week, who's one of the worst Power Five teams in the country. Yeah, Jim Leonard was—he was a fun player. He's kind of an undersized, uh, not super athletic safety, but really, really, really heady. So it didn't surprise me at all to know that he went into coaching originally. And he's kind of another one of those assistant coaches that came from the NFL as a player that's kind of in the the football meta right now, like we talked about with Brian Hartline last week. So. He's definitely yep. a guy that, uh, and again, like he's Wisconsin through and through as well. So, um, mm -hmm. all right. So you mentioned Martinez is, is up there for betting odds right now. Who else are your top Heisman candidates at this point? So betting odds, I know I've been singing the praises of CJ Stroud, but 
betting odds wise, he is the favorite. He's plus 150, which is a significant favorite. Like right now, that basically gives him a 40% chance, according to the betting markets, of winning the Heisman, which is pretty significant this early on in the season. I don't, after his game against Rutgers, I really did a deep dive into his tape because I, I haven't watched much Ohio State uh, as much as I want to, at least. And he, he's not graded too well for us. Like he's, his grade is 83.7, which is tied for 27th in the country, um, which is again, not bad, but it's like, when you look at a guy like Bryce Young, 91.3, um, there are other quarterbacks too who are up there as well. Stroud has been kind of just like playing with a really good offense and he's doing enough where Ohio State's just killing teams, but he hasn't been able to like, really step up and put the offense on his back. And you know what? He never probably will have to because that's how good the Ohio State offense is. you got a, two superstar running backs in Meon Williams, Trayvon Henderson, one, probably the best receiving core in the country, one of the best offensive lines in the country. Like, C.J. Stroud just has to be back there and not make mistakes, which is really what, all he's done right now. Um, he's made six turnover-worthy plays this year, seven big-time throws. A stat that I found, we, PFF can actually see how many of your throws were to an open receiver. 87% of C.J. Stroud's throws were to an open receiver this year. For comparison, Bryce Young, 73%. Caleb Williams, another top Heisman candidate, 61%. So as you can see, like 80, only 13% of his throws were like a tight window throw. C.J. Stroud is getting a lot of open throws in that Ohio State offense. Again, I think he's going to improve as the season goes on. He had a 92.2 grade last year. Uh, he's probably still the favorite to win the Heisman. I just think if I, you ask me right now, who would you give the Heisman Trophy to? Just based off what we've seen, I'd give it to Bryce Young because Bryce Young has had to put that offense on his back. The receiving core is horrific right now at Alabama. It is not very good. And yet he's still putting up points. He's still playing really well, even without a great receiving core. So you ask me right now, I'm giving it to Bryce Young just because I think he's had to shoulder a lot more of the load than CJ Stroud has so far. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't I don't think you would have surprised anybody if you said that preseason, but I think the flash plays are something that people get excited about, right? Because we definitely see yeah. those. Um you know, I'm curious to see how this plays out because I could I know Nick is absolutely in love with Bryce Young as a prospect and he sees him as the clear yeah. number one guy. I know a lot of the people who like traits will see CJ Stroud as that guy. And then there's there's another guy who does a does the show with us on Thursdays, Owen, and he's really really high on Will Levis, especially preseason, as a, as a big time physical toolsy guy as the top quarterback. So it's we're gonna be back to that conversation again this year about are you favoring the tools, are you favoring the arm, the athleticism, the size, or are you favoring, you know, the football IQ? Are you favoring the pocket presence and the ability to dissect the defense? And that's that's going to be the conversation come draft time, and it's going to be an interesting one because we've had it before, and and we're going to see which way NFL teams are trending, you know, because you kind of get a feel for that by the time it's all said and done. But all right, any shake up to your top four? Okay, so right now, I I would say Clemson probably has a better chance of making the playoff than USC. I really think so now because they just beat NC State, they beat Wake Forest already. Their schedule after that is not that hard compared to other of the top teams. So I think Clemson right now, if you ask me, like, who will be that fourth team? I will probably change my prediction from USC to Clemson just because Clemson has gone through a big portion of their schedule. They look good doing it, too. 
I mean, all they got left, like they got Florida State, who's out of the top 25 now after losing to Wake Forest. Uh, they got Syracuse, who I went to Syracuse. I'm, I love that they're number 22 in the country. Are they actually the 22nd best team in college football? No, they're not, they're not one of the top 25 teams in college football, but I love that they're ranked. Notre Dame is better than people think. They've kind of rebounded a little bit, but still, uh, Clemson should be able to pretty much walk through the schedule 12-0 and and win the ACC title most likely. You can't keep them out of the playoff if they're 13-0. and So, I mean, like I said, they've already beaten Wake Forest. They've already beaten NC State. Those are probably two of the hardest games they got on their schedule. They're done with them already. I think Clemson probably has a better chance than USC, than Michigan, or any other school of, of actually pulling this off and making the playoff. So they're at number four now. And did you shake up your top three at all, or do you, did you put Alabama at one now? What are the one through four? Yeah, so actually I ranked uh, my new ranking, I think, it's, I think it's coming out today. I have Bama at one. I, I put them at number one over Georgia, and I put Georgia at two, Ohio State at three. I think those are the clear top three. After that, I have Clemson, then Michigan, um, then USC, then Tennessee, then Penn State. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's clear – that the top six is probably what's going to end up being in the playoff. I don't see anyone after that being actually in the playoff um, or the top six is a shot, I should say, at the playoff. But yeah, I, I think out of the three, because I think Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State are pretty hard to unseat as playoff contenders unless they really screw it up. Uh, I think out of the three of Clemson, Michigan, and USC, I think Clemson has the best chance at actually making the college football playoff. That's so funny. When you said top six, I was like, I must have missed something. I thought I was more plugged in than that, man. <laughs> no, not yet. All right. So I know it's far away still, but we're getting a little bit closer uh, week by week. If that's the top four and we have Clemson going up against Alabama as the first round, how do we foresee that playing out? Is that is that a legitimate competition? Do you feel like Alabama is just head and shoulders? Do you think because their offense is struggling, Clemson has a real shot? What do you think? I think I think Bama, I think the top three is pretty head and shoulders above everyone else. So I think Bama would be favored probably by even close to double digits in that game. Um, but yeah, Clemson can give them a run, especially if DJ Uyunglele like, could really like keep this up because he's really played well. And I think he's really emerging in the 2023 draft conversation too. Um, because of how insane his tools are. If he can keep it up, Clemson can give him a shot. Uh, but I really think Alabama right now, I would say, is probably the best team in college football. But, yeah, the, the playoff will be uh, a lot of fun. I still have Ohio State winning it all this year because I think nobody in the country can stop that Ohio State offense, especially when they get Jackson Smith and Jigba back from an injury. Uh, Trayvon Henderson coming back from an injury, too. Like, they're not even at full strength, and they've, they put up 50 points against Rutgers, which is pretty impressive when other teams like Georgia are struggling against Missouri. So. Ohio State, I think, has the offense that I don't think Georgia can stop. I don't think Alabama can stop. I don't think anyone in college football can stop. Uh, so I think Ohio State ultimately wins the national championship this year. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in, look, I, I, I'm getting excited for draft talk. We're, we're almost at the time where that, that really kicks off. So we're, we're putting a few things in motion to get our draft content rolling. And I am looking forward to it. get to start really having those conversations. And, uh, man, I'm looking forward to it. All right, last question before I let you go. What's up this mm. weekend? What are we looking forward to? Yes, so there are a few. Uh, it's, it's only three. It sounds weird saying only three ranked games because uh, that's <laughs> still a really good week. But, my God, last week was, was awesome. Uh, this week we have Tennessee, number eight Tennessee, at number 25 LSU. I think Tennessee can make another statement. Uh, that's, that could be the third top 25 win this season so far. 
uh, after already beating Pittsburgh and Florida. So if they beat LSU, man, it's going to be tough to, you know, keep them at number eight. I think they'll be number seven. Argument for number six, too, over at USC, because Tennessee, you just can't deny what they've been doing so far this year. Uh, there's another ranked game as well, and number 11, Utah, at number 18, UCLA. UCLA is in the top 25 now after crushing Washington last week. Uh, they're 5-0 and in the year. Utah, 4-1, and one, trying to bounce back from that season opening loss to Florida. They're doing a pretty good job of that. And the other ranked game that I'm really excited about, TCU and Kansas. First time ever that college game day is going to Lawrence, Kansas, uh, to host the Kansas Jayhawks. I am so excited for that. Uh, Kansas is 5-0 and right now. TCU is 4-0. and They're both in the top 20. That's where game day is going. It's the first time ever that game day is going to Kansas, like I said. Uh, first time in, I believe, 13 years that Kansas is ranked, which is such a, is the coolest story in college football right now. Uh, so I'm excited to see whether or not who actually is, is legit or not because TCU has kind of had a bad run as of late too, but both of them are undefeated right now. Both of them ranked in the top 20, which of them is actually legit is something I'm, I'm actually really curious to see. All right. Interesting. I know, I think, I believe Kansas ended up being in the top 10 in the gridiron heroics top 25 poll that we run ourselves. So they're getting some love there for sure. For sure. They've got the resume for it. They definitely got the resume to be a top 10 team right now. I just don't know if they're actually, you know, the, quality of them i don't know if they're actually top 10 but yeah the re- if you're going by resume they're probably top five right now they, what they've done is impressive all right cool well i'm looking forward to that this weekend then max thanks so much as always for coming on and educating me on the state of college football and of course we will have you back on again next wednesday as well why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work of course, you can find me at Chad underscore Maxwick on Twitter uh, and on TikTok. And then all of my work, I'm writing about four articles a week for uh, PFF. You can find at, at PFF.com. Also download the PFF app, too. Um, so, yeah, check out my, uh, my work covering college football there at PFF. Good company, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. We'll see you soon. Hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know decide whether to start or sit Adam Thielen. All right, we're back with Matthew Brown, our lead fantasy analyst for Gridiron Heroics, and he is going to talk us through this week of fantasy. He's going to give us some players to start, maybe a player to sit. So let's dive in, Matt. First of all, how you doing? Uh, I'm licking my wounds after this week's <laughs> fantasy matchups. I, I, I'm not doing so hot, to be honest with you. It's not going well, but, you know, that's fantasy football. You got to talk to Julius, man. I think he said his team just scored 180, some, something absolutely insane. So he had multiple 30-point scores, like three of them Oof. on his team. Now, which is surprising because one of the challenges of fantasy football this year in general is offense is down. And so mm-hmm. we're not seeing as much, uh, you know, big performances. So that's just kind of an interesting stat. But uh, anyway, uh, you all don't care about that. You want to know who to start and who to sit. <laughs> um, so let's kick that off. Um, first one, I am saying go ahead and start T Higgins on the Bengals. Um, they are playing the Baltimore Ravens this week. Uh, the Ravens uh, don't really have a great secondary. I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, Baltimore's defense is a, a weak link, but their offense is not, so I expect a big shootout, and Jamar Chase is going to get a lot of the attention, and so 
that leaves T. Higgins wide open for great stats, and he's been putting them up all season. Like he, he has better stats than Jamar Chase, but yet Jamar Chase, because of his explosiveness, is still getting the double teams, and T. Higgins is stepping up. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to draw the matchup versus Marlon Humphrey. And not that Marcus Peters is a bad player, but, I mean, he's getting a little bit farther along in his career. T. Higgins is really just entering his prime. So, uh, from a physicality standpoint, I, I do like that. T. Higgins is one of... I know that he's very popular and well-known, but I, for what he does, because he plays second fiddle, I think he's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league. And really, Tyler Boyd there too. I'm not. I don't. I'm. I'm more lukewarm on him from a fantasy perspective, but from a football perspective, the fact that the Bengals have Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase is a, a pretty pretty good wide receiving core. Yeah, no doubt. And I think for this week, he's going to be going up against some of those safeties. And Marcus Williams has a propensity to pick off the ball. We know that. So I think sticking with with uh, T. Higgins is probably the way to go. All right, I, I cannot believe these words are about to come to my mouth because um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Bill Belichick hires someone to listen to fantasy segments on podcasts and listen to podcasts to figure out who people are saying to start, and then he literally goes, all right, those are the people I'm not going to play because um, the New England Patriots are the b- biggest enigma in fantasy football because someone will score four touchdowns and then never play a down for the rest of the season. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think that both running backs, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevens, or Ramondre, let me try that again. Ramondre Stevenson uh, <laughs> uh, is are, are great starts. They had both had great stat lines versus Green Bay, and they are playing the Lions this week. As good as the Lions' offenses, that is as bad as the Lions' defenses. They just gave up 48 points to Geno Smith. When you, whenever you're making Geno Smith look like a top 10 quarterback, your defense is not great. So uh, the good news about this is I, I don't I think starting either one of them is fine. And so I, I maybe as more like your flex running back two, uh, would not be surprised if this is a big high scoring game. Bill Belichick will run run the ball. Damon Harris or Ramondre Stevenson, great great pick against the Lions defense this week. Yeah, they given up more than 30 points in three out of their four weeks at this point so I think any any skill player versus them is a good call but Patriots running backs should always be taken in a handcuff and if you're going to play one you should probably just play both because one of them's probably going to have a good day for sure both aren't and you never know which one is going to be so if you can get both Patriots running backs like you said throw one as your starting running back throw one as your flex player one of those players is probably going to have a very solid day. Again, I'm convinced that Bill Belichick is listening to this podcast right now. I was like, oh, this guy, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to break out my fourth string running back and he's going to score five touchdowns this week. Yeah. He's going to put his, him. his backup linebacker is going to be playing wildcat for half the game. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my, my last one is, um, I, I, I'm, I'm saying this is a player to trade away. And I, I wrote about this on Gridiron Heroics. So you can read more, more about this on Gridiron Heroics. Trade Kyle Pitts. I, I, am, I am pulling the trigger. Through four weeks, his stats are week one, two catches for 19 yards. Week two, two catches for 19 yards. 
Week three, a little more positive. Seven catches for 85 yards. And week four, one catch for 25 yards. And no more touch, no touchdowns in that at all. Not a touchdown. I don't know what the Falcons are doing, uh, but they're clearly building around the run. Last week's win against Cleveland, they completed seven passes. So it's not even like that Kyle Pitts is necessarily missing out on a bunch of targets. They're just not passing the ball. But the key here is that Kyle Pitts probably has perceived value to your opponents. I talk about this in the article that if you're putting, you know, me on the spot, you're saying you got to put a million dollars on who is going to score a touchdown this week, Kyle Pitts or Taysom Hill. I'm probably putting it on Taysom Hill and he can probably be gotten in most of your leagues off the waiver wire. And so figure out some person in your league that thinks that Kyle Pitts is going to have a breakout season and he still might, but shore up that running back two spot or wide receiver two spot. You probably can get some decent value for him at this time. And my gut tells me that the Falcons are just going to keep running the ball and passing it like, you know, 11 to 15 times. And I just don't think that Kyle Pitts is going to have the volume there. Yeah, well, I don't think Marcus Mariota is a sit back and sling it type of quarterback. I mean, he's a mobile guy who does well in play action. He can run the ball himself a little bit. They are going to be without Cordero Patterson. So that that might offer up some touches but it also might make them kind of one-dimensional right like if you if you don't have your best running back then then teams don't even have to defend the run as as intently you know they can sit back they don't have to bite on play action as much so um yeah the only thing that i will say with Pitts is if they go to desmond ritter at any point in the season i think his value goes up i I don't know if the Falcons are going to do that. I mean, the fact that the Falcons are two and two with Marcus Mariota, I, I I don't see any reason why they would barring injury decide to go to Desmond Ritter. But I, I think Ritter is probably trying to target Kyle Pitts more in the offense than what Marcus Mariota. I mean, Marcus Mariota won a Heisman on running the ball. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that he likes to run the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. And, and he was a guy that was, probably taken in the first round by a lot of people this year but you know you never know you, you never know and they drafted a, a, a wide receiver high as well who's gotten notably more targets so that's an yeah, interesting Drake London's one. been great Drake London's been great I also I I like your New York Jets this week Dolphins <laughs> pass game is not good I, I I like I like the Jets wide receivers to to I mean I guess Byron Jones is coming back this week but I, I don't care I still like the Still like the Jets receivers against a weak Dolphins secondary. Well, I'm I'm curious about that game because it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater in there. So how does that affect the dynamic? Do, do are the Jets because the Jets had four interceptions last week? Are we gonna, you know, I don't expect that to happen to Bridgewater, but you know, who knows? Their offensive line isn't good. I mean, maybe that will be a turnover heavy game, and if that's the case, then there's going to be a lot of scoring opportunities for the Jets offense on a short field. So. Uh, that's a tough one. The Jets' offensive line isn't great either. This might be a Brees Hall week. They put the ball in his hands as time expired to try and score a touchdown to win that game. So I expect his workload to increase. So we talked about that a little bit. And the last one, I know we didn't have an insane stat line, but as far as fantasy goes, J.K. Dobbins, two touchdowns, and what something like, <laughs> I want to say maybe 80 total yards or or thereabouts, 
that's a pretty good week in his first week. Yeah, back, he had so. a receiving, receiving and a rushing touchdown. I mean, I, I'll, I, I gotta, I have to uh, give credit where credit is due, or admit <laughs> it's only my one wrongdoing. Week. It's only one week, but yeah, it's only one week. But I, I, I was, I was down on J.K. Dobbins, and uh, um, oh, oh, can I defend myself really fast? I know we're running <laughs> out of time, but I have to defend myself really fast. So I wrote again an article, and I said on this podcast that you should sit Patrick Mahomes this week. And I stand by this and I stand by that. I was right. His stat line was very mediocre. It was like 249 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. It was just kind of okay. Um, uh, now maybe not as bad as I was thinking. Um, I was a little disappointed in the Tampa Bay defense, but I, I, I am standing on the hill that I was right. And <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah, I wasn't well, quite as right as I thought I was, but I still think I was right. Look, for a fantasy does not always match up with real life football. It just doesn't sometimes. And so you look at that game and yeah, he played incredibly well. But when you throw a one yard touchdown pass, that affects fantasy very, very differently than throwing a 60 yard touchdown pass. Right. Like we it just is what it is. So. Their offense was firing on all cylinders. They were able to run the ball very effectively. It was a really good defense. I don't think anybody expected them to go up 28 to whatever in the first half. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was sound reasoning. And I think, you know, despite the overall offensive showing, it was a fair uh, a fair decision. I will say at this point, probably don't count him out for the rest of the year. But <laughs> I'm starting Patrick Mahomes the rest of the year. <laughs> and, and I will say I stood by my word. I have Patrick Mahomes on my fantasy team with the Gridiron Heroics writers. And I stood by my, my word. I benched Patrick Mahomes. I started Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Anyway, it, A-Rod didn't have the, the best stat line, though, either. What, what, was, what, what, what did he look like? Oh, it, it, the first half was bad. Uh, he was four for 11 for 44 yards and an interception. Not Ooh. great. Um, he recovered, and now he did not score as many points as Patrick Mahomes, but uh, uh, that I, I, was, I, was okay. I was okay with that, and especially because I would have felt really bad had I started Patrick Mahomes after telling everyone to sit him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, anyway... We'll talk again next week. We'll, we'll we'll go over our fantasy woes and and triumphs. Matt, let everybody know where they can find you until next Wednesday. Yeah, follow me at Sorcerer Matt on Twitter. Uh, that's where I'm most active. Right on. All right. See you soon. Thanks again. Gamblers, wagerers, and riverboat ramblers. Tonight, we pick. Alrighty, guys, we are here to preview the Thursday night football matchup between the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos. And to do that, I have a returning guest and a brand new guest, although they really do come as a tag team duo here. We've got Lawrence Owen of Colts Law. His YouTube channel, Lawrence Owen, is awesome. He's had me on a number of times. I've always been very appreciative, and he was on here in the summer as well. And we have R.C. Evans, a.k.a. Colts Loyalist, who is essentially the co-host of Colts Law. Lawrence, how are you doing today? I'm actually doing really, really well. Just got done doing some recordings with uh, a few players and former players about the this past week and the upcoming week and uh, actually got my hopes and, and stuff up a little bit compared to what it was just 
two days ago when the court <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely destroyed themselves. I can imagine. How are you doing, Loyalist? Um, I'm not quite as good as Lawrence, I guess, because uh, I'm still licking the wounds from Sunday. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I, that one really hurt me a lot because, you know, being a division game and stuff. Sure. But all in all, considering a couple days after postmortem, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I watched that game uh, to cover on Sunday, and yeah, it didn't it didn't go well. I look, okay, guys. I think before we before we get into this Thursday night game coming up, we have to talk about what's going on with the Colts. Like, how did we get here when the expectations were largely a lot higher, right? I think it's early in the season. Nothing's over yet, but they're going to have to turn it around. So so what's been happening? What have been the main issues with the team at this point? Uh, well, as uh, we've been discussing since week one, the offensive line just has not been playing to par of what we're used to seeing from this offensive line. When you put 70-plus million dollars into an offensive line, it should be playing as a top-five unit, and right now it's playing as a bottom-five unit. It's not getting any push in the run game. It's not protecting the quarterback. It's just not doing its job. So that's kind of, I believe, the root of the problem offensively because defensively, I mean, no team scored more than 24 points. Or the second half usually is, is shutouts or allowing only three points or something like that. I think the defense is doing fine. Uh, that offense, though, there is problems there that has to get fixed and has to be figured out quickly if they have any kind of uh, aspirations for postseason. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, I certainly picked them to win the division. I was pretty high on them. I thought the Titans were going to take a step back, which, frankly, they, they kind of have. But it doesn't look like the Colts have, you know, kind of taken over the division the way that we that we thought. So, Loyalist, I mean, we talked before the season started about that offensive line. We talked about the whole roster, but the left tackle position was the thing that I pointed out as being the most concerned about. And there were questions at right guard, but I kind of thought that might be something that you could hide a little more. The thing about offensive line play is that it's tough to mask a major issue, right? No matter how good your stars are, if there is a true weak link, defensive lines and, and blitz packages can set you up to exploit that. So what would you say is the biggest problem? Is it left tackle like I thought it would be? Is it right guard? Or is it something else in there that we didn't expect? Well, from my take on it, okay, I expected to have some struggles at that left tackle. I, as you was even thinking that the right guard, but the thing is, is this team, you look at Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and, and Braden Smith, and that's where it's like, that's the massive disappointment. You know, I mean, that's where this team is. I mean, you take those guys away, and this team has lost its identity. I mean, the Colts' identity is smash mouth, run JT, sprinkle in the pass game, and we just don't have that. I mean, uh, the thing is, is I would say with what expectations we're going into this season, the largest problem is in your veterans because – you know, I mean, the offensive line is not making holes for JT. The They're not protecting Matt Ryan. And then every time Matt Ryan gets hit, he coughs the ball up. It, it's just it's just been a s snowball effect, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, I would say it's underwhelming. I mean, I remember even seeing snap issues. Like, what, what, that's not something that you expect from, from, from a guy like Ryan Kelly who's been around for so long, right? You know, so... But would you say that there is a specific position on the offensive line other than maybe 
underwhelming play from the guys who expected to play well that is particularly leaky because I think the left tackle spot has been a bit of a problem. What would you say, Lawrence? I would say that, yes, the left tackle is a, is a problem, but at the same time, really the, the biggest problem has been right up the gut. Uh, mm-hmm. No push in the run game and uh, blitzers coming up the gut and, and uh, people just overpowering the right guard. If the right guard position can be fixed with someone that's adequate, then I think that a lot of these problems on the offensive line can be fixed because even though Pryor gets beat, a lot of the times it's uh, the sacks and stuff happen because there's nowhere for Matt Ryan to step up into a pocket mm-hmm. to avoid that. So it, it is that right guard position that, that absolutely needs to be fixed, in my opinion, ahead of the left tackle. Okay, yeah, I get that. I think I think especially for those veteran pocket passers, they do need that place to step up to, into. It makes a lot of sense. Now, JT's been banged up after this week. I think the expectation is he's probably not playing on a short week, but you let me know if you have further insight into that. Uh, Loyalist, do you, do you think he's playing to th- this Thursday, or do you think that they're probably going to have to take it off a week? I would honestly, I would say this is about as close to 50-50 as you could get at this point, because quite honestly... JT's not been practicing, but they've already re- reduced his workload. Okay. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is if they can get him out there, yes, that, the young man's going to play as long as he can't injure that ankle any worse. You know, uh, they still haven't clarified if it's a high ankle sprain or, you know, or even that degree, you know. So quick turnaround, mm-hmm. I would say even if he does play, huh. he's not going to get. I mean, last week he had the most snap counts that he's had in his entire career at 88% of the snaps. I don't mm-hmm. see that happening. I think we might bring up Philip Lindsay from the practice squad. So are, I feel like they haven't really been using Naheem Hines in the passing game as much as they did in prior years either. Lawrence, do you think that there's that's intentional? Do you think that it's just, that they, I mean, I'm just not sure why, because I feel like they had a system that worked and the biggest issue was, you know, quarterback play. And I know that statistically, that looked better than probably it really was last year. But we all know that, that it was just kind of chaotic. You never really knew what was going to happen on any given drop back. Now, I feel like Matt Ryan has been playing with more command. I mean, just from what I've watched, and I haven't watched every game of theirs, he's. I see him rolling out at times, even for his age, and hitting players on the move. I think, I think it was uh, uh, Paris Campbell... On one play, I mean, he was he hit him on the run. I was like, "That's an athletic play from Matt Ryan." So I, I mean, it's I don't think that it's he's totally washed. But what what is this offense actually? What's their identity at this point? What are, what are they trying to do? Well, it kind of looks like to me that Matt Ryan is really favoring his big targets. Um, you got tight ends out there that are getting catches week after week. Uh, one week it might be the rookie Jelani Woods. The next week it'll be Kylan Granson. The next week it'll be Moelle Cox. And then you got uh, obviously Michael Pittman Jr., who's a six-three receiver. Um, he he likes uh, different guys out there. The, the 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 rookie Alec Pierce. He's hitting him a few times. He's like six-three. Uh, Paris Campbell, even though he's a speedster, is still six foot. I think Naheem Hines kind of gets kind of hidden in the wash, so to speak, you know, uh, being that he's like 5'10", 5'11", and I don't think that that Ryan feels comfortable throwing him the football quite yet. He's getting snaps occasionally. Last week, his snaps kind of went down a little bit, but... Uh, that was, I believe, because they, they ran so many two and three tight end sets 
against this Titans team, expecting a lot of heavy front looks from the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is a situation where I'm seeing Matt Ryan throw the football to guys as he is getting comfortable with them. And mm-hmm. I don't know that Naheem Hines has reached that level with Matt Ryan yet. And it, it could be another couple games before we see that actually come to fruition to where Matt has everyone on the field that he feels comfortable will, comfortable with and everyone is a legitimate target. Yeah, I think I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I've seen him hit uh, Alec Pierce on some back shoulder throws and that takes timing, that takes, that takes chemistry. And so I think that's developing as well. I mean, I think... You know, I don't think that it's a, it's a total disaster. There's just a few things that just aren't working, and they've just got to try and make some changes. Last question before we move on to the, uh, the the game upcoming. What about their rookie tackle? I mean, is he not getting play? Are they do they feel like he's just not ready? Is or is there a nagging injury that I haven't looked into? Um, uh, let's. Yeah, loyalists, go for it. I mean, lay it on me because I'm curious. Because when I before we the season, I was like, it looks to me the way that they've structured this, they're expecting contributions from this guy, and I don't think we've seen him yet. So what's the deal? Yeah, well, we have seen him a little bit. Uh, week one, week two, there was this rotation, and they were trying to get him into the game plan and stuff. But yet, Matt Pryor clearly won the the mm-hmm. battle. You know, because you know we went to training camp and we saw that he was raw. You know, and I'm talking about Ryman. He was raw and was just mm-hmm. having to get acclimated to being a professional. But then, unfortunately, he had an ankle problem, and now he still hasn't fully recovered from that ankle situation. So that took away his opportunities. He was he was actually not even eligible for one game. Last week he was eligible, but he only got four snaps on special teams. And I think that was because we started seeing a little bit of positive progression from that left tackle and just the offensive line. So it's not all bad. You know what I mean? I know, you know, the offensive line is still far from where we want to be, but yet there is that forward progression and, and, and positive momentum that I think that they wanted to let Ryman just still heal up a little bit more and give Matt Pryor that opportunity to see where he could go with this. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Let's jump into the upcoming game now. So Another AFC team that has been far below expectations at this point. And I think, you know, the reality for me is that I didn't predict for them to go to the playoffs this year. Uh, I, I I just thought that it's too much new. New quarterback, new coach, a lot of turnover. I mean, there were questions on their offensive line. And, you know, their their weapons, I think, are adequate. But I don't think that they're as dominant as a lot of people portrayed them to be. And then they, they had some attrition there. So it, it doesn't surprise me that they're not winning games it does surprise me a little bit that they've looked outright bad at times I can't say that I saw that coming but this is an opportunity on a short week to go in and and make another statement win they were able to beat the Chiefs if they're able to beat the Broncos then I get that puts them at two and three right so I mean again not necessarily where you want to be but but Two, two, and one. That's right. That's right. They have. Oh man, <laughs> I forgot about that that uh, tie to to open the season. I'm sorry. That was about as depressing of a tie. Don't be. We're not <laughs> proud of the tie. Okay. No. So, uh. Uh, I watched. Actually, I watched the end of that, and it's like, man, just nobody wants to walk away with this one. But all right. So you know, putting that that Colts offense that we've been talking about up against 
a pretty good Denver defense. I think we can say that that hasn't really been the issue with that team. They have a solid pass rush. They've got guys at both edge positions. Um, they've got a lockdown corner, young, very good player, really good safety, maybe not the greatest linebacker unit. So, I, I mean, if, if you are going to be effective against them, Lawrence, where do you think that's coming from? What do you think that will, what do you think will lead the way for the offense? We got to start utilizing running back screens and quick outs to tight ends, continuing to do that, you know, quick passing routes, because I'm sorry, Bradley Chubb is the real deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this dude's going to come in and he's going to wreck our offense. And you think, you think uh, Matt Ryan's had it, had it rough so far. Chubb can make it look really, really, really bad. Okay. It might make him think about maybe I should retire. Uh, so <laughs> we got to really, we, we got, we got to neutralize that pass rush in some way. And that's some quick, Quick little passes, uh, uh, screens. I don't want to see, as as Loyalist has pointed out many times, I don't want to see wide receiver screens. I, I want to see tight end screens. I want to see running back screens. I want to see little quick uh, uh, flat routes uh, from your uh, tight ends and things. Utilize the advantage that you have because, as you said, Patrick Sertain is playing at an all-pro level right now. Okay, and mm -hmm. uh, he's going to lock someone down, and most likely that someone is going to be Michael Pittman Jr. So utilize the tight ends and the running backs in, in an advantage that you would have against the linebackers and safeties. I think that's the best way that the Colts can, can walk out of this with a victory. Yeah, I think you gotta you gotta try and go up against those linebackers because they're they're mm -hmm. playing fine, but I wouldn't call it the strength of their team. You know, I think make those guys work, make those guys run and chase, try and tire them out as best you can. I, I think that's that is the best option. Loyalist, you know, what about the offensive line? I mean, what what can they do? Do you? I mean, they're going to have to chip, right? They're going to have to help out that left side. What do you think? If you're going to make a prediction here, like, how is it going to is it going to be an ugly win or is it going to be is it going to be devastation? What do we think here? No, I, I'm definitely leaning towards the ugly win because you look at that Denver roster and they're they're beat up too. You know, lost Randy Gregory. You know, that was a huge aspect of that defense that now right. the Colts don't have to quite worry about. And honestly, like I said, if we can get an increased level of play from the three vets at that offensive line, and I just have to believe, I mean, Quentin Nelson has played good this year, but even last week he started to uh, – show some leaks so if we can plug those holes get jt going gotta get jt going early you know what i mean i'm not saying that he has to go off for a 160 yards but if we can just show a progressive fear because last week the titans did not fear jt at all you know what i mean 32 yards i think for the entire game we have to be more productive in the run game and then like you we've discussed earlier get naheem hines in this thing that is the x factor i mean i've been screaming about that JT and Naheem at this on the field at the same time. We're seeing it, but Naheem Hines didn't even get his first touch until like five minutes left in the third quarter last week. Get him started early and often in this game. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is crazy to me. When you have a player who's been as impactful as he has, it's this is not speculation. This we know what he can do. We've seen it happen. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I, I can't. I couldn't say why they're not doing that. I, I guess he's just getting lost in the shuffle a little bit because I, I can't believe that it's in, intentional. But all right, how about as we flip it over to the opposing matchup, the Colts defense versus Denver Broncos offense? Now, the Broncos 
have struggled against too high looks. It's been something that's been an issue for Russell Wilson throughout his career. Brandon Graham gave him a hard time with it when he was with the Giants. He gave him a hard time with it last week when he was, now that he's with the Raiders. We know Gus Bradley is a pretty true blue cover three guy. Still to this day, he's one of the last guys who are really living in that world. I haven't watched the games closely enough, so you have to tell me the answer to this. Have they employed any cover two looks or any two high looks, I should say? Or has it really been all cover one and 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 uh, cover three? And do you think they're going to switch it up to exploit what Russell Wilson has had the most struggles with? What do you think, Lawrence? Uh, well, yeah, you are right. He runs a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three. Uh, you don't see two high safeties very often with this with this defense. But he has changed his defense a lot this year as opposed to the last few years. You're seeing a lot more man coverage as opposed to zone from Gus Bradley. And that's something that is, I think, an in, in indicative of the personnel that the Indianapolis Colts have back in the secondary. They've got some really good veteran corners and safeties out there right now that can handle man-to-man coverage with uh guys that are that are playing phenomenal right now you know my one of my co-hosts Rodney McLeod uh and um obviously Stephon Gilmore out there is playing pretty darn good as well Kenny Moore's not been playing to his his ceiling that we have seen in the past but there are times when he looks like lockdown as well so I think that uh, right now, the issue, I don't think, is whether they're going to play a lot of too high. I think the issue is how much man are they going to play against this? Because you talked about it earlier. The weapons that Russell Wilson has right now is supposed to be good, but they haven't lived up to expectations. Could the Colts play a little bit of man press and then maybe get a little bit of pressure on on Russell Wilson? We'll see. I've I've called it a couple times uh, in games on what they might do. This one, I could see them where Gus Bradley could legitimately have a spy, right? A linebacker spy on on him uh, so that when he does run out of the pocket, then a linebacker could, could chase him down. So... This will be interesting. I don't think we're going to see much cover, too, though, just because it's worked against Russell Wilson in the past. Okay, that's interesting because I think the recipe for success largely against Russ has been to basically sit back, force him to be patient, and take the underneath stuff because he really likes to take those one-on-ones on the outside. So if that's how you're going to play, then you got to be consistently winning those one-on-ones. And I know Gilmore has played pretty well this year so far, which which has been nice and like you said, you do have some quality young players. So, Loyalist, we finally saw uh, Shaq Leonard get back last week. We finally saw him play, and unfortunately it looks like he has a concussion, if I'm not mistaken. So, is he going to be out for this game as well? Yes, he, he as well as Tyquan Lewis will both be out in the concussion protocol. Because not only did Shaq get the concussion from friendly fire, but he also broke his nose. And so now it's, the question is, is this going to be a one-week, a two-week thing? Or there's even been talk about him possibly being put on the IR for the four weeks and stuff. So, yeah, unfortunately, we got him for basically a quarter. <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, we lost him just as quickly as we did. But the upside to that is, is as far as his replacement from Zaire Franklin, he has been, he has filled that heart and soul match. I mean, I'm not saying that he's replaced Shaq by any stretch of the imagination, 
but especially in the run defense, he has presented a very solid force in that. And, you know, and he's, he's, you can take advantage of him in coverage, but there again, we, hopefully we got Bobby Owen and to Lawrence's point, you know, we've got uh, the secondary that has really picked up their game a lot over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, we talked about this before the season, too. The depth at linebacker has been something that is a big plus for them. And so it is, despite the, how impactful Leonard is, they do have guys that, that you know, can step in and be quality players in his absence. So that that is, I mean, it's a plus. Anytime you got depth, it's a plus. So last question. I mean, look, I think I, at this point, I think it's more than obvious that the advantage is with the Colts defensive line over, over the Broncos offensive line. I mean, even if it hasn't been getting as much pass rush as you would hope that offensive line is pretty bad. So, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I think, I think that it's maybe not, it maybe isn't a, you know, a, a crazy mismatch, but I think it's in favor. What do you think? Cause that's the last thing I want to talk about before we pick this game and, and call it a day, Lawrence. What do you think about this matchup uh, in the trenches? I do like the Colts in the in the matchup. The the Colts defensive line, uh, Gus Bradley, I believe, if if I remember correctly, is blitzing the least amount in the NFL right now. Uh, I, I remember not this past week, but the week before, he only blitzed twice, right, the whole game, and and still beat Patrick Mahomes somehow. Uh, but. We got another issue. Special teams, baby. Special, special teams. <laughs> special teams is important in the NFL. They're one third of your team, right? Uh, but you also got to have like key players, key playmakers. And right now, guys like DeForest Buckner are injured. Tyquan Lewis, uh, DeForest Buckner only played, I think, 13 snaps last week due to an elbow injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyquan Lewis, as, as uh, Loyalist said, He's going to be out, and he is a key rotational piece, someone that comes in, can play defensive end or defensive tackle, either one. Uh, There's going to be young guys that's going to have to step up, but we got a lot of good young guys uh, in Oday Nigbo and Odangbo uh, that (laughs) can come in. It's weird that we got two guys that have very, very similar, odd, but similar names. Um, And they play very similar as well. So... I like our defensive line. I love how they're mixing up the different pass rushes, kind of mixing up a little bit of exotic right there with the the defensive line. Even though they're not blitzing, they're using a lot of twists and stunts and 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 moving guys around to try to take advantage of of uh, different personnel matchups to get across the the, the trenches. There, uh, I do believe that the Colts still, even with the DeForest Buckner and and uh, Taekwon Lewis injuries. I still think that they have an advantage uh, in that aspect, and it should be interesting because we all know what happens if Russell Wilson gets under pressure. He doesn't run side to side. He runs backwards, and that's not a good thing. That's not a good Mm -hmm. thing when your quarterback runs backwards. So uh, I'm hoping to see that a lot this week. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, and I think we have to mention, too, that Javante Williams is now out for the season as well. So he's a big-time player for them maybe their single best offensive weapon, to be perfectly honest. So uh, I think you, you mentioning the fact that they're banged up is 100% true. So we'll see. I mean, one of these teams is going to be in a real bad spot after this week. That's all I can say. And I hope they don't die. <laughs> but, um, 
All right, let's pick it, guys. What do we think? Uh, let, I don't have the spread in front of me. Um, give me your, oh, Lawrence, give me your final thoughts real quick while I pull up the spread here because I just want to see what, what we got. All right, so, look, uh, th- my only issue is is that the Colts have shown, as I've said multiple times, that they have yet to figure out their offensive line and the fact that they're turning the football over, and they haven't given me any reason to believe that they're fixing that anytime soon. And if they can't do that, then I don't see a lot of points on the board. The only good thing is is that the Broncos haven't been very offensive either. Uh, they both tied for the second least amount of touchdowns in the NFL at six apiece so far this season. So I see this as a very low-scoring, ugly game. Um, so I'm I calling. I hope you Colts prove me wrong. Uh, I I think Denver's going to win this, something like 16-12. Okay, well, in that case, they'd cover the spread because we're looking at, according to play action pools, which is what we use here, we've got minus three and a half for the Broncos. So 16-12 means Broncos win and cover. Loyalists, what do we think? Well, I, can, I, I feel like this offensive line is going to continue taking that next step, okay? If we can get get some production out of JT, I do think it's going to be an ugly game, but I think our, our defense is going to be up for the challenge. And I've got it 17-13 for the Colts. Okay. All right. I I think I think the Colts are either going to win this by like one or two points or the Broncos are going to are are going to run away with it. One of those two things is going to happen. I I I think it's I think if if the Broncos do get a lead, they're going to pin their ears back, send Bradley Chubb and start blitzing and really really make it hard for the Colts offense. I think it's going to be tough for them to to play from behind. So it's either the Colts, it's a knockdown, drag out, win, running the ball, and, and you know, a lot of underneath stuff and just fighting for yards, and they come out with it, or they're going to be fighting from behind for, for and, and, the, and it will, it'll, the gap will spread. So one of those two things is going to happen. I, ah, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with the Colts here because I'm just hoping that JT will play. I think that that's going to be the difference. If he doesn't play, I'm not sure. Uh, I might have to go back and change that if I discover that he's not playing right before the game. But for now, I'll take him to at least at least cover. But all right, guys, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Always fun to talk to you. And uh, we'll have to come. On, I have to talk about that uh, that monster contract that Quentin Nelson got before the seat. What did I say? I, I expected him to be somewhere around 17 or 18 million, right? And he got that 20 million dollar contract. So. So it surprised me a little bit, but clearly they weren't operating off of the guard market. They were operating off of the rest of the offensive line market, you know, I, and I, I get that, but that that's a big contract for a guard. That's a big jump. So I hope he turns it around a little bit to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. All right, Lawrence, let everybody know where they can find all of your awesome content. Thank you, Max. I appreciate you having me on here. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Colts underscore law and on YouTube, uh, Lawrence Owen. Now, uh, obviously, you can always just type in Colts law. You can find me just about anywhere uh, just by typing that into whatever search engine you use. And then, of course, I have uh, not just Colts law, but Believe in Colts, where I have two fantastic co-hosts, former player Gerard Powers and current Colts strong safety Rodney McLeod, who is my uh, other co-host now, and we talk about stuff 
every week. So you can find that on audio podcasts and on my channel as well. Thanks again, Max. My pleasure. And Loyalist, let everybody know where they can find you. Also, thanks again for having me on here. Uh, basically, I'm on Twitter at, at ColtsLoyalist56. And to Lawrence's point, just look us up at Colts Law or look under Lawrence Own and you'll find me there. Beautiful. All right, guys. Best of luck to the Colts, and I will talk to you both very soon. Thank you so much for listening to our big midweek episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. We'll be back tomorrow with our draft episode, which means we'll be talking about rookies and 2023 prospects. And of course, we'll be back Friday as well to go over the Thursday night football game as well as pick every single Sunday NFL game against the spread. Please follow, review, rate, subscribe, whatever it takes, wherever you listen, we appreciate it. We'll see you all again very soon.